coming up. The co-conspirators, according to the indictment, they would alter the checks, use mobile banking to be able to deposit them, and got away with almost $2 million before federal investigators stopped their spree. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. The fraudsters are always one step ahead and they've figured out how to make a deposit and quickly go and withdraw the money. Mobile banking has made things a whole lot easier for millions of people during the COVID-19 pandemic. But it's not just convenient for consumers. John Ravita is the marketing director for SQN Banking Systems, a company that provides fraud detection tools for banks. He says mobile banking is ideal for criminals because they never have to actually show up at a bank. I think the challenge with mobile banking, it's faceless. An investigation last year from WTHR 13 News in Indianapolis found check fraud has been surging nationwide as criminals use new technology to commit an old crime. Four checks was $12,000. Three checks for a total of $21,000 we lost. It's a big deal. You've got to stop this problem. It's unreal that the world's gotten to like this where you can't use your own mailbox. People are getting away with this. It doesn't seem like anybody is having to pay for what they're doing. Joining us is Bob Siegel, senior investigative reporter with WTHR in Indianapolis. Bob, let's start with this investigation you worked on last spring. Rob Fine and Harold Wilson have never met, but they have a lot in common. Tell me a little bit about these two business owners you spoke to, Rob Fine and Harold Wilson. They reached out to us because they were um, they were pulling their hair out. They were so frustrated that um, repeatedly they had checks, their business checks, stolen and they were trying to figure out how that was happening. They're stealing the checks out of the mailbox. It's actually just theft. Some were actually stolen uh, out of their mailboxes. This mailbox right here. Your home mailbox. My home mailbox. And others were stolen once they had mailed them. And um, in in the process of uh, of being mailed or delivered, those checks were being stolen and altered um, to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars and really turned their small businesses upside down. You mentioned they were altered in your investigation. You pointed out that some of these alterations to the checks really weren't all that sophisticated, that if you looked closely, you could tell that they've been altered. Very much so. I mean, to uh, it actually looked like children's handwriting in some cases. Um, This was not sophisticated at all. There are some very sophisticated operations um, to be able to alter checks, but in in these situations, it looked like there were pieces of paper that were cut and pasted uh, over the name of the payee and the dollar amount and just handwritten in what had been, uh, you know, a professionally typed uh, and and produce check turned into really a mockery. I mean, as far as con jobs go, this isn't even a good one. It's ridiculous. I don't know how it ever got past anyone. These are the first four. The checks stolen from Harold's company were doctored and completely forged, according to the office manager. The address and all has been changed, not the way ours is actually laid out. And then they put in their own name and signed four different names here. Four different people signed these checks. The amounts are whatever they chose to try to get out of our account. They made their own checks 
just by getting information off of our checks. And the frustration for these businesses is how do the banks, um, you know, even accept these checks in the first place? Why would a bank accept something that looks like that? Because it went through the mobile banking. Some of the new technology is letting people get away with this. So really a lot of the focus of our first story was on mobile check fraud and the fact that uh, the fact that we now rely so much on mobile banking instead of the old days where you'd go in and you'd have to hand a, a check to the teller who looks at the check and makes the deposit. Nowadays, it's all done by just, you know, sitting in your living room, snapping a picture of the check, sending it in electronically and through, you know, mobile banking and e-banking. Um, there, there really are not a lot of eyes uh, on a check, even one that's very badly forged and altered so that it really makes it possible for criminals to, to get away with stealing millions of dollars. And an important detail in this case is, you know, these weren't $20 birthday checks. These were checks these businesses were sending out to vendors. Can you talk a little bit about how much money they were losing? Yeah, some of these checks were for two thousand, four thousand, some for eleven or twelve thousand dollars. So these these were large checks, and in talking with these business owners, it, it's not unusual for them to send out checks for even more than that. So um, yeah, the the two business owners that we talked to, um, one was out about twenty one thousand dollars, the other was out uh, about twelve thousand dollars in multiple checks that had been stolen, and. Um, by their business managers realizing pretty quickly what had happened, they were able to stop the losses from actually being much higher than that. What have banks been doing to respond to this, particularly as mobile banking has become more and more popular since the COVID-19 pandemic began in 2020? Yeah, mobile banking uh, really uh, became much, much more popular at the beginning of the pandemic uh, when it, you know, people didn't want to do business face-to-face anymore. So, uh, you know, mobile banking has been around for a long time, but um, I'll be honest, <laughs> uh, beginning of the pandemic is the first time that I really started uh, using mobile banking, uh, you know, a lot more as opposed to, to going to the bank. So um, banks responded um, to this problem. The, the idea of check fraud and mobile banking fraud has uh, continued to go up exponentially as the number of, of transactions has gone up. So, the way that they've tried to respond is to put, um, you know, different algorithms in place and and different online uh, programs so that they can analyze checks once we take a picture of them and, and they're being sent in to take a look. And they look at, at anywhere between 10 and 20 different spots on the check to look for possible signs of fraud. The problem is, is every day there are millions and millions and millions of transactions. So you can imagine that, you know, if a company is paying for every single check, if a bank is paying for every single check to be analyzed, that's going to get extremely expensive. So they do a random sampling um, to try and catch fraud. And the result is the vast majority of checks that have fraud sail right through because they're not subject to uh, those different checks and balances, no pun intended, to be able to catch signs for for fraud. So um, while the banking industry uh, is proud of the fact that the amount of fraud that they uh, are, that they're stopping is going up every year, unfortunately, the reality is, is the number and the amount of fraud that gets through every year is increasing as well. Of course, I want to get to the latest news here. But first, back in the spring, when your investigation aired, 
where did things stand for these business owners in particular and for the investigation into their reports of fraud? In the spring, when we originally uh, aired our, our first investigation, these business owners were waiting to see if their banks would reimburse them for their losses. And luckily, eventually, uh, the banks did reimburse them for all the fraudulent checks that had been deposited and, and cashed and altered by someone else. But in some cases, it took it took nearly a year for that to happen. At the same time, we knew that there was a federal investigation going on, and we had a pretty good idea at that point that the investigation was tied into a local post office. So we reached out to the post office inspector general, uh, and at that time we were told that they could not comment. So we continued to monitor the situation and to be on the lookout in case they were able to actually figure out who was responsible for uh, you know, being behind these checks and whether or not it was an inside job that was happening at a post office on the northwest side of town. An Indianapolis man is charged with stealing mail and running an elaborate scheme to rip off local businesses. The charges come after... Fast forward to earlier this year, you learned that the federal investigation has been bearing fruit, that there have been arrests, right? There have been arrests. And and so I think what was actually happening uh, allegedly inside the post office is what really captured folks' attention. Uh, you know, obviously the post office has been under scrutiny for a while for a whole bunch of different things, you know, being underfunded and, you know, delays in, in mail delivery. So what what turns out was happening, according to federal investigators, is they actually had a supervisor at uh, the new Augusta Post Office, which is uh, a little part of town on the northwest side of Indianapolis, where this supervisor uh, and some conspirators were actually stealing mail. They were opening up envelopes um, and and looking for checks that specifically could be altered um, as part of this uh, this check fraud ring that federal uh, investigators uncovered. And so it it ties into one specific post office, and it's uh, an area town where there's a ton of businesses. It's near a corporate. Uh, uh, business park. And uh, this is an area that gets a very high volume of business checks coming through that post office. And it, it appears that an individual who worked at the post office was just happily receiving those checks and profiting from them at the same time. So that individual you mentioned, his name is James Lancaster. He was allegedly using his position with the post office to steal these checks. And there were allegedly co-conspirators as well. Correct. So what investigators say uh, was happening is that James Lancaster would um, look through the mail um, and the affidavits from the investigators say that, you know, these male employees and supervisors are pretty darn good about having an idea of what might be contained in each envelope. So, uh, according to the indictments, James, Lan- James Lancaster was stealing the mail. Um, over 250 checks were were stolen, totaling $1.7 million. 
and that Mr. Lancaster was working with some co-conspirators up in the Chicago area that he would meet with and he would provide these checks to them. He would, in some cases, then get paid for providing these checks. And then um, the co-conspirators, according to the indictment, they would alter the checks, use mobile banking to be able to deposit them, and you know, got away with almost $2 million before federal investigators stopped their spree. $2 million. That's a lot of money. What are these three men charged with? And what kind of sentence might they be looking at if they are ultimately convicted? So James Lancaster is looking at charges of mail theft and uh, you know conspiracy to commit bank fraud. Um, there are bank fraud charges against the co-conspirators as well. Um, they could potentially spend you know up to, to five years in prison and potentially millions of dollars in fines. It's it's not common um, in a crime like this that there would be that type of restitution, but. Certainly, you know, there's the potential of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines as this plays out in, in U.S. federal district court here in Indiana. The allegations here include some some really interesting details that that Lancaster was fired from his position, but allegedly that's not when the fraud stopped, right? According to the indictment, uh, when he was first interviewed last summer by uh, an investigator for the for the uh, inspector general's office, uh, he admitted to stealing mail and he resigned his position two days later. But the indictment says that it was months after that that uh, he was captured on surveillance video going back to the post office um, and taking more packages and envelopes. um, And he was actually caught at another local post office. Some of the things that he would take from the new Augusta post office, he would then take over to the Eagle Creek post office so that things didn't seem too suspicious. He would, uh, when he didn't find anything in some of these packages, he would take them to a different post office and put them back in the mail. Um, Of course, the U.S. Postal Service, uh, you know, tracks pretty closely where packages are coming in and out. So um, according to the indictment, they had all of this taking place on surveillance camera, and that appears to have given investigators uh, even more leverage and ammunition as they move forward with their investigation. Have you had a chance to speak with the business owners from your initial investigation whose checks were stolen? Have you had a chance to speak with them since these arrests? How are they feeling? I have, um, and I spoke uh, in particular with with Rob Fine, and um, he owns a uh, a, a printing company uh, on the northwest side of Indianapolis, um, a promotional uh, printing company. And on the one hand, he feels very relieved and, and happy to know that the folks behind um, these crimes, uh, as the indictments are laid out, are, are being held responsible for them. So thrilled that they finally did make an arrest. And on the other hand, he feels pretty frustrated because he was notified by federal investigators upwards of a year and a half ago um, that they thought that they had a pretty good idea who was doing this. And he feels that at the time, had investigators been able to move more quickly with uh, the inspector general's office at the post office, that this could have been prevented perhaps um, instead of being $1.7 million, um, it could have been a few hundred thousand dollars in losses and there would not have been so many victims. 
Bob Siegel with WTHR in Indianapolis. Thank you for sharing the story with us. My pleasure. And thanks as always to you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening right now. If you're looking for more podcasts, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows. That includes our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. <laughs>